Hello and welcome to the Life Together podcast, where we share in meaningful conversation about living for Christ and loving one another. Thanks for joining today, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode. Joining me today is Kyle Pearson. And Kyle, uh, he's one of our deacons here, and um, I've gotten to teach uh, Bible class with him a couple times, um, and it's been really, really great. Um, love the Pearsons very much, uh, and excited that you're uh, here and, and joining for the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Jarrett. Been yeah. looking forward to getting to sit down and talk with you and um, share some of the thoughts we have from from a book we both read and both found uh, informative and helpful. Yeah. Well, I know um, y'all have a vacation coming up, but uh, fill us in. How is life for the Pearson family right now? Uh, life is going well. Um, the The family's doing great. We're enjoying the summer vacation. Um, got back a few weeks ago from from getting to enjoy time in, in Florida for summer camp, and the kids getting to go down and spend time with uh, my parents uh, down in Florida, and now we're gearing up this coming weekend to head back out and take a little trip up to Maine to go enjoy the national park up there and spend some time with family again. So we're having a great summer um, and, and just kind of winding things down as we get ready to dive back into school here for mm. too much longer. Nice. Well, that'll be a really beautiful trip. Um, my family got to go there last year and, um, you know, did all the hiking trails and the whale watching and all of that. And I thought it was so cool having the Normally you get like, you always have the question, right? The mountains or the beach, you know, but up in Maine, you get both. You get the beautiful landscape of the mountains plus the the beach. And um, it's just, it's just really, really beautiful. So um, that'll be, that'll be great. Um, well, a, a while back, um, we were at church on like a Wednesday night and um, you came up to me and asked if I had read this, uh, this book that um, you'd been reading called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And uh, it's always it's always cool when you find someone who's reading what you, you're reading, kind of is, is thinking along the same lines. And so we both talked about that book for a while and some of the things that we learned from it. Um, but I, I want to start back, um, I guess, kind of what, how did you hear about the book? Um, and what's it all about, and maybe kind of what overall impact has that had uh, on your life? Uh, well, Carly actually uh, is the one who introduced the book to me. Uh, she's the the avid reader in our house, so she goes through I don't even twenty plus books usually a year that that she reads, and uh, she just loves to read. And she she came across this one, I guess, early last year, early in twenty twenty two, and and she read it. And, and just felt, you know, excited by the book, kind of mm-hmm. convicted by the book and its, its message. And she kind of came to me and she's like, you have to read this book. You need to read it. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did. I picked it up and, and read the book. And we both found just its message to be really transformative. And, you know, it was, it was something that we felt like we, we both were convicted by, just hurry lifestyle, feeling like um, allowing speed, distraction, um, hurry to to play too big of a role in our life um, and, and the need to just slow down and, and take in each moment, take in each day um, and enjoy what this life has to offer. Um, and, 
um, so we, we just both sat down and said, you know, we need to integrate some of these principles uh, into our life. And so for the last year, we've, we've really made an effort to, to implement some of these things um, that he talks about in the book of, of ways to um, slow down, to, to live an unhurried life, uh, and really doing that through the lens of living a life of apprenticeship, discipleship to Jesus. Yeah, that's, I, I found the, the same thing. So um, I, when I came across this book, it was the spring of 2022, I guess. Um, and um, it was like the busiest week so far uh, to that point of, of the training program here at Lost River. And it just felt like I had so many assignments. And on top of that, I had planned so many different things with friends and different projects to be a part of. And I was down in Nashville for a couple of days and then I was back and it was just a crazy busy week that was kind of the climax of what was a really busy month or few months where I just felt like I was constantly exhausted and rest became, uh, I was getting very little sleep. Um, I was, uh, uh, just, constantly on the go and felt like I was, my mind was very distracted, constantly thinking of what was the next thing that I had to get done. And one morning I, again, in the busiest week, um, one morning I, I went out to my truck, started up my 04 Dodge Dakota, and it sounded like fireworks were going off in there or something. It was, it was, just terrible. Um, and so I was able to drive it over to a, um, like a auto place just down the road. And they told me like, Hey, that like, you're going to have to get a, a new engine like this, this thing's done. And so, I mean, I was devastated because I mean, one, I was like, no, this can't happen. It's the busiest week so far. Like I can't, I have to have this truck. I, how am I going to get around? And then the the worst thought was, well, now I have to get a new one. <laughs> and how am I going to do that? And um, and so anyway, they I, I was like, can I drive it back to my house? Because I didn't want to have to pay to leave it on their lot or anything like that. I was like, can I just drive it back to my house? And they were like, okay, if it's like under two minutes, you can do it. So I drove it back home and I'm sitting there in the living room waiting for Lawrence to come pick me up to bring me to the building and I'm looking outside and I can see my truck and I'm not like, I'm not like an emotional person, but I could feel like the, the tears welling up in my eyes. And I was like, one of the, I'm not even like that attached to my, I mean, I love, I loved that 04 Dodge Dakota, but I mean, it wasn't cause I was like attached to the truck and then it hit me. It was like, Oh, like I know why this has hit me so hard. It's because that's how I feel right now. Like I feel like this beat down, exhausted truck, like my engine's gone. And and it was it felt in that moment, I, I, I don't know how all this works, but it felt like God was putting the brakes on my life. He was like, if you're not going to slow down, I'm going to make you. And so it just so happened that two weeks later, we were in the um, rest 
or we were in the this must be stronger than that series. People will remember the Bonhoeffer story <laughs> that we that me and Lawrence told too many times. Um, but it was uh, I, I was assigned rest must be stronger than exhaustion. And so I dove into research for this uh, lesson, and that's when I came across this book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and it was exactly what I needed at exactly the right time. And um, I was talking with uh, Philip Russell the other day about this, and he described the book as life-changing. I was like, I totally agree if you implement it. And that was my experience. It was like, when I read it, it felt life-changing, and then I preached that sermon, and um, I put a few of those things into practice, and then somewhere along the way, it just trailed off and kind of derailed. And And so we'll get into sort of the the practical um, ways to to sustainably live this countercultural lifestyle of rhythm and rest. Um well, and I'll say, you know, it's interesting that your your story there with the truck, I mean, it, it's great. And, and Carly and I, it's it's funny how God puts those kind of things in front of yeah. you at a moment when you need it. Mm. And I think one of the things that just came to my mind, the, the reasons why the book was really impactful for us at the moment that it was, is it just, it happened to be at a time when, you know, our kids are five and seven now. Mm. And... We're young parents that are raising a young family and they're growing. And we saw in ourselves, you know, a family that's um, in a season of life that we're raising young children, we're, we're working. Um, mm. We're working to provide for the, the present of our family. We're working to try to provide for the future of our family. Uh, we're, we're ever more getting involved in and in finding our schedules more and more full of activities. It's, you know, things at school, it's things at church, it's things at sports, it's things with uh, work. It's, you know, this, the schedule fills so quickly. And, and we sit and look back and we get to the end of a week and like, well, how come we don't have a free, you know, day on the calendar for three weeks? You know, it just got to a point where we realized just how busy we were becoming as a family. Um, and it just kind of crept up on us without us even realizing it. Um, and I think that, that, kind of this book being introduced to us or, or coming to us at that moment, um, it really hit us because we were finding that Carly and I both agreed that many of the things that we felt like are foundational principles for growing our family, if we weren't very intentional and focused about prioritizing them in our time and our schedule, they were going to get replaced by things of lesser value. Mm-hmm. We were going to end up being at more activities and more events and more things that held lesser weight and lesser value um, than what we needed to be placing our time and our 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 emphasis on. Um, so I think that was one of the convicting things about it is we were we were we felt our lives just ramping up in hurry mm. as our kids were starting to get older and starting to get into to more things. We felt that pace start mm. to pick up. Um, and I think the, the timing of kind of implementing this couldn't have been better because it, it allowed us to take a, an evaluation and step back and take a look at where we were prioritizing our time and our resources and say, is this really the, the best for our family? Um, is there a better way to live this life to not speed up the pace and become exhausted um, and to become burnout? Um, so I think 
like your truck story. That was kind <laughs> of our story of of it it coming to us at a really opportune time. And I think why it was so personally impactful and transformative in that moment. Yeah. Well, let's let's zoom in on that a little bit. So the the title of this book is Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. What do you think this idea of the hurried life or hurried culture is kind of getting at? Well, I mean, you can you can we can see it around us. I mean, we live in a in a culture and in a world um, that's constantly in a hurry. I mean, yeah. speed and distraction are ever before us, and uh, it's always pulling at us from different directions. Um, and trying to to draw our attention and pull our attention away from things I, I feel like that are of greater value towards things that are of lesser value. Um, and, and the book is interesting, and I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole or in the weeds on, but there was one section in the book that I felt like was really just just informative and interesting, how he talked about um, the acceleration, just, just historically, the acceleration of the pace of our world. And if you sit for a moment and just ponder that, you know, he talked about how, you know, as as agrarian people for thousands and thousands of years, you know, humans lived by the rhythms of the sun and the moon, you know, light and dark. That was basically the, the rhythm of the day. Um, and it wasn't until what seems like to us a long time ago, but, you know, 1500s, so not that long, 500 years ago, you know, the clock is invented to where now we're taking day and we're segmenting it into smaller portions of time. We're starting to segment our day and break up our day. Um, and then you fast forward into the 1800s and the light bulb comes around. And now n- are we not bound or we're not bound anymore by the sun and the moon with a light bulb? Now we can stay up longer and we can work longer. We can get up earlier and have light to work earlier. We, we expand our ability to do get more in and get more done. So that hurry starts, you see the snowball starting to pick up on hurry. And then not, but a few years after that, you run into the automobile where now I can get to places faster and quicker that I couldn't get to before. So I can get more done. I can can see more places. I can experience more things. And just the continued snowball, this pace of life, um, you know, ultimately culminating in, I think, what was it? 2007 was the the Apple smartphone and just the, the 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 boom of what's come from a digital world with a smartphone and Amazon and now everything's at your fingertips. Um, just the the he highlights through it kind of an interesting quick historical thing of how did we so quickly in the grand scheme of the history of the world we just exponentially jumped the pace of life so fast. Right. Um, and it's just interesting to to. Think about that and sit and meditate on that and ponder that and think about, you know, the question really, are we considering what that's doing to our lives? Is it positive? Is it negative? And what is it doing to our souls? Is it positive or is it negative? Um, And I mean, he lays out a a pretty good case that it's not positive. Um, But it's just interesting to see our culture's view towards speed and hurry. Um, Yeah. You know, he, he mentions a few times, you know, slow now is considered a negative in society. You know, mm-hmm. things that we think are bad, uh, we tend to, to associate with slowness. You know, that restaurant's bad, their service is slow. 
Um, you know, that, that movie never really developed. It, it just was boring. It was slow. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a person that maybe of slightly less intelligence, well, they're slow. You know, it's, our culture has developed this, this idea that slow equals bad and fast equals good. Um, and, and it's just not accurate, I think, to what we see depicted in Scripture and to what we see lived out in the life of Christ. And that's really where he brings it around to is we need to be looking at the life of Christ. How did he live? And it wasn't hurried. It wasn't rushed. Um, it was very purposeful and intentional, slow and methodical. Yeah. Um, and I think we're seeing that problem in Western culture just ramp up more and more. I mean, we know it's not going to slow down. I mean, there, there's, there's no look on the horizon that technology and the pace of life is going to slow down or stop anytime soon. Um, so as, as followers of Christ, as Christians, we've got to find the way to live out the ancient principles of Christian living in a ever increasingly fast paced modern world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's become just the water that we swim in, the air that we breathe in. It's the culture that we've inherited. And I think for most people, we grow up into adulthood and we live this life and we don't even recognize how fast paced it is. We just feel it. And there's there's consequences of it. There's it, it's like we don't re, we may not think about how fast paced everything is but we feel anxious, we feel worried and, and, and stressed out, um, we feel like there's constantly too many things to do, all of these things. And, and they, I can't remember if it was in this book, but uh, I think it was in another book. Um, there was a group of, it may have been like economists who came together and they were looking at the rate at which technology was increasing and they estimated that by, I forget what year, but maybe it was sometime in like the late 1900s that people would only work like 20 hours a week. Um, I can't yeah, remember was, the actual was, study, but... It was somewhere in, like, I think it was a, somewhere in the 60s was the study and they predicted by like the 80s yeah. um, that we would also, we would all be basically working half a day and spending the rest of the day lounging at the pool or playing golf or right. doing something yeah, yeah. for leisure but it hasn't worked out that way. Yeah, the because, exact opposite. Yeah, right. In the 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 more that uh, technology gave us the ability to accomplish things, the more that we, in our uh, American um, hyper productive society, thought, all right, well, this just means more production, more production, more output, and instead of people now being liberated by technology, they're enslaved to it, um, which is an interesting concept that maybe we'll uh, explore in a little bit more detail. But maybe we can talk about this for a second. There's a part in the, the book that I thought was really helpful that was basically a diagnosis. So when we think about hurry culture, we might think, oh yeah, you know, there's, there's people I know that just have way too much going on and they really need to slow down. And maybe it's like, well, this isn't really for me, but there's 10 things that this particular author lists in regard to hurry sickness. 
and maybe you can count up which of the 10 resonate most deeply with with you and then kind of see okay what out of out of 10 how hurried is my life and maybe we can talk about each of these kind of as we go through it but one of them is irritability so just getting mad frustrated too easily annoyed um uh hypersensitivity so similar but um all it takes is just one small comment to to hurt your feelings, you know, one bad email and your whole day is ruined. Um, nitpickiness, all of that kind of a part of it. Um, number three is restlessness. And this is one that I think resonates with me, just that inability to sit and be still. Like I struggle so much to just relax. And part of it is I almost feel guilty if I'm just sitting down, you know, I was told a lot like growing up, you know, like you work hard, you know, you, you, you're always on the move and there's a lot of good lessons to learn in that. But, um, but part of it is I feel guilty if I'm just like taking it easy or, um, if I've planned a time to, to just take it easy and there's nothing on the, the schedule, I find myself like reaching for my phone or, going and doing some activity it's just so hard to say to stay still i don't know if that's really relatable at all to you that's absolutely that 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 one hits really uh, you know hit hits home absolutely yeah. for me like i i even find myself describing myself that way to people like mm. i just I, I have a hard time sitting still like i i always feel like like there's something i could be doing yeah you know i mean I could could go out and get all the yard work done, wash both cars, you know, get everything done and then go inside and have a hard time sitting down for five minutes and not being like, well, you know, maybe I could pressure wash the house too. You know what I mean? It just, it, I have a hard time being still and just allowing rest mm -hmm. and, and restfulness. Um, and I, I don't, I've, I've had a hard time, like you say, maybe it's something that we've kind of been grown up with this idea of, you know, you work hard, um, but I have a hard time allowing myself to sit and just enjoy rest. It's okay to just to to be still yeah. and to to be in quiet with your thoughts and and be at rest and not feel the need to either accomplish something or feel the need to pick up something like you said just to to distract yourself with. Um, there's there's something about us just having a difficult time being in a quiet place in our own minds. Um, that we, I think we've got to, I need to work on being more comfortable with. Right. Yeah. And I like how you said minds at the end, cause it's not just having a restless body doing things, but then it's having a restless mind to this distracted mind where I could, I could go out of my way to plan a time of silence and solitude and have my phone in another room and, and, or just be out in nature you know, next to a creek or something like that. And, and I love doing that. But even in those moments, I can still feel my mind trying to solve problems, trying to think about what's next. It's it's like this computer that won't turn off and it's thinking about all these different things. And it's just not, I guess, very much a part of our the ways that our minds have been molded to just sit and meditate in in the silence 
So that one really resonates with me. That's number three. Number four goes right along with it, workaholism. Um, I, I mean, I feel like we pretty much already uh, hit on that, but I, I, I know that's a, a big one. Number five is emotional numbness. This is where we struggle to feel other people's pain um, or, or even our own for that matter. But it's like we become so busy that we don't have time to process our emotions. And this is really, this is to me a really interesting one. And I, I think it does resonate with me in, in my experience and what I see in others, in, in the world around me, um, uh, in, in whether they would describe it as emotional numbness, I don't know, but just feeling like they don't have time to even think about what they're going through or someone dealing with grief, feeling like they just can't process it because the rapid pace of life just sweeps them to the side. They just have to keep going. They just have to keep producing and they don't have time to even process what's happened in their world. And um, so I see that as as a big one, that kind of emotional numbness. Um, number six is out of order priorities, which, you know, we're all guilty on that one. Um, uh, feeling, he describes it as feeling disconnected from our identity and calling, um, getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent and the unimportant. Um, life is just reactive. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, rather than being um, proactive and thoughtful and building margin into your life, it's just response, 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 response. You know, we have, you know, we take our work home with us. We have our email in our pocket. So we're constantly responding to people from work or church or, or family or whatever it might be. And it's just constantly a life that's pulled every which way and no time to build any kind of hierarchy of value. Um, everything is of equal importance at the same time. And that, that's, that's one that just recently I've really struggled with and had to really think through and meditate on because that was something that I was really guilty of. I, I would be sitting um, and find myself you know, at home with Carly or with one of the kids or you know, just having a conversation with Carly about something that she needed to talk to me about, something that was on her mind, something that was weighing on her heart, and she needed to talk to me. And we're in the middle of a conversation and a text from work or a call from work or a, something else comes through and I either answer it and I'm devoting my attention now to something that's of lesser value when I needed to be focused on my spouse and something that was of greater value or I'm I'm sitting upstairs in the, the playroom playing a game, a board game with the kids and, you know, somebody calls and, and they got a question about this or that. I could so easily call that back in a half an hour and, and finish this game. But I'd find myself so guilty of halting what I'm doing with the kids and going to answer this matter um, that, that just wasn't urgent. And I found myself making things that weren't urgent, urgent. Like you say, just just prioritizing things out of order and, and taking my attention away from something that really needed me at that moment, something that was of greater value at that moment and placing it on something else. And it can be really hurtful. Mm. It can be really, um, you know, convicting. Power. Yeah, I mean, yeah. convicting, but it can be 
hurtful to to relationships and just yeah. and just not devoting your full attention, being completely present in the moment with the people who need you and with the people who you love and love you and just letting them know and them knowing that you're completely present with them in the time you're spending with them. And I found myself being pulled away and distracted in too many directions when I needed to be able to devote my attention fully to one thing. Um, and that that's just been something that, you know, is, is a right now thing I'm trying yeah. to work on uh, to, <laughs> yeah. to be better about. Well, I heard a story from a preacher one time who was sharing advice that another preacher had told him. They were walking out of the church on uh, some weekday and he had his, they both had their briefcase in their hand uh, or, or he had his briefcase in his hand. Um, and he was asking this uh, preacher, hey, w- what, what advice do you have? What advice would you give? Um, as far as just how to how to be a preacher. And he looked at him and then looked down at that briefcase and he said, well, you should start by leaving that here. And it was so convicting. And the, that preacher went on to share his own struggle with that in ministry and how one time uh, he had been away doing different meetings and things like that. Um, and his, his daughter's birthday was coming up. And so she said, or he, he asked her, um, Hey, what would you like for your birthday? I'll, I'll get you, you know, I'll get you anything. Right. And she said, your time. And, oh man, it just, you know, it, it breaks your heart because it's so real. And we know that we know it's like the most valuable thing we have to give is our time or our attention. And the fast pace, the hurried life that we're all swept up in right now, that's just so normal, is destroying our relationships. And it's, uh, it, it's causing us to have these totally disordered priorities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and going back, just like, like you were saying there, going back to what I was talking about, those two examples just a moment ago. You know, even if you don't in those scenarios, you know, I'm talking to Carly or I'm playing the board game with the kids, you know, sadly enough, even if I, I don't get up to go answer that call or, or answer that text, I struggle to just I found myself struggle to just sit and continue to play the game or to have the conversation with Carly without my mind wondering, I wonder what that's about. Mm-hmm. I wonder what, you know, you yeah. see your mind starts to just run away with you and you're no longer even though I'm I'm physically still sitting in front of them my mind is no longer engaged fully um, with them. And I think that's that's such the big thing with us being able to pull ourselves away from this hurry culture is to be able to devote not just our body, but, but devote our minds to being fully present uh, for, for what we have before us. Because like we said kind of at the intro to this, you know, it hit us at a time where I started to realize, you know, the last five years of Josie's life and seven years of Cade's life have gone really fast Mm. and I'll never get to redo those years. Mm. Um, And you just realize if I don't slow down and take in every one of these moments, something as simple as playing a board game in the evening after work or something as simple as a conversation, if you don't slow down to, to soak those moments in, breathe those moments in and and, and really focus on them, be purposeful and be present, 
they're they're by you before you know it, and and you can't you can't get them back. Um, so it really became something that hit home. Like I need to slow down and take this in. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So so number six, out of order priorities. Number seven, lack of care for your body. Um, maybe that sounds strange. I don't know how that how that comes across, but um, I mean, this is the idea of right? We know what's good for us. And it's really pretty simple, right? Like get some sleep, eat well, get some kind of exercise in for the day and have some kind of uh, silence and solitude meditation and spend time with people that you love. It's like pretty like five core things that we know are good for us. And yet this fast paced, hurry culture that we're living in robs us of just those basic needs. Uh, and this one hits home for me because when I, when that same week when my truck broke down, I mean, like I said, I wasn't eating well, I wasn't sleeping much at all. It was just all about production, getting the next thing done to where I, it was like, there's, I, I had no, time so i thought to to take care of any of those like basic needs it was just get as much done as i possibly can to keep my head above the water um so so just not taking care of your body is is one that i think uh, people fall into um and then number eight escapist behaviors um this is where we when our when our souls feel stressed out, we start to turn toward de-stressors, and sometimes that can be things as intense as, you know, drugs and alcohol to kind of escape, or that could be reaching toward our phone, which is really just another kind of drug, which is a podcast for another time. Um, but uh, these kind of impulsive behaviors to uh, kind of make our souls feel rested. You you said it. It's a a podcast for another day. As far as the the uh, the phone and and the things that the distraction that we get from that and the um and the the constant need to yeah. to fill that dopamine addiction with right. something to help our brains calm down because we 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 can't calm down unless we get a hit from something to give us that mm. that dopamine fix. And yeah. it's yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah, and it, it's sad, but like you see this all the time it's usually in those stressed situations right where people make the worst decisions and um so many stories of uh adultery and things like that come in high stress environments because people are looking for this outlet and it, it just leads to this soul corruption um, when we don't make time to, to rest. Um, but that leads to number nine, slippage of the spiritual disciplines. You know, anytime you start talking about the spiritual disciplines, people get, they start to feel guilty because it's like, oh man, I know I could be doing better. And it's not just about adding uh, an additional weight to your schedule, but it's, it's kind of asking the question, okay, if my life is so hurried that I don't have time for God. Like, what does that say about the way I've arranged my life? And, and the solution isn't find 15 minutes to squeeze it in. 
the solution is, okay, we need to make some major cuts to our schedule to, to, to see how we can make God the center of uh, our lives, to make him uh, the, the sort of spiritual rhythm that, that we live by. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you said it well, that the answer to being hurried and, and feeling of not having enough time is not more time because we tend to just right. find a way to fill that up with more things that are just mindless distractions and things that are, are not of great value. Um, but one thing that we've, we've found that helps us with this and that we've kind of had to do is if, you, if we don't sit and take in our laundry room at our house, we have a, a monthly calendar. And it's like a dry erase calendar. And you just kind of each month, Carly will wipe the whole calendar clean and we'll sit down and we'll look at the whole month and say, you know, what are we going to do this next month? We just did this at the end of June, looking at this month of July. And, you know, if we're not intentional about sitting down and saying, we're going to first plug in, it's like that old analogy. They say, you know, if you're going to get a maximum amount of stuff into this bucket, you know, if you're going to put, you can't put all the, the little things in first and then expect the big things to fit at the end. It's not going to work. But if you put all the big rocks in and then the medium-sized rocks, then you can fill it with sand and that sand fills all the little crevices in the time that's left. It's kind of like that. We, if we sit and we look at that whole month calendar and first we plug in the spiritual disciplines or we plug in the things that are of greater value on a spiritual level, on a fellowship with our family at Lost River level or uh, our own family, um, if we plug those pieces in first, then we backfill with the things that hold lesser value to us. Um, but I feel like, you know, what we found prior was if we allowed just all those little things to get jotted on the schedule or we didn't have any forethought in the schedule, we found ourselves increasingly full with all these little things. And like you said, you end up being like, well, I, I somehow never made room for prayer and meditation and Bible reading and the spiritual disciplines that should be core tenets of our lives as followers of Jesus, those somehow fall through the cracks. Uh, and unless those are the first things to be plotted on the schedule, they tend to, to not find a place at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that leads to the, the final one as far as this diagnosis goes. Uh, and number 10 is isolation. And maybe that sounds a bit contradictory because we were talking about silence and solitude, but this is isolation in the sense of I'm constantly surrounded by people, but I feel isolated inside. And that's another very relatable one where we're pulled every which way and we're constantly surrounded with activity and going and doing, and yet on the inside, we feel so alone. And I think a lot of people are experiencing that in, in our world right now. We've never been more connected, and yet we still feel this void of, of loneliness inside. Um, so those are the 10. And I don't know how those hit you. To me, those were very convicting when I read them and still convicting now. Um, and maybe we all have uh, some some work to do, um, I guess pun intended there, but we we all have some maybe changes that we meet that we need to make in our life. 
And in a moment, we'll get very practical about what that can look like and maybe some of the initial steps. But first, I do want to talk about just very briefly, like, okay, how bad is it? Like, how bad can this get? And there's a quote in the book that struck me so deeply. It's from Wayne Mueller, um, and it says, a successful life has become a violent enterprise. We make war on our bodies, pushing them beyond their limits, war on our children because we can't find enough time to be with them when they're hurt and afraid and need our company, war on our spirit, because we are too preoccupied to listen to the quiet voices that seek to nourish and refresh us, war on our communities, because we are fearfully protecting what we have and do not feel safe enough to be kind and generous, war on the earth, because we cannot take the time to place our feet on the ground and allow it to feed us, to taste its blessings and give thanks. That is such a powerful quote that I think describes it's the it's the true definition of how Americans think of the good life. Like what's the good life? It's about being successful. It's about being productive. And that successful life, he says, has become this violent enterprise where we're just waging war on all the good things that God has given to us. Yeah. And I was I was like you were you know, struck by just when you read that there, the the word violent. You know, I mean, it's it's this mindset that we're willing to sacrifice and leave casualties along the way through life in order to accumulate and to be productive uh, in this life. And it makes me think, how we've we've got our priorities set, our, our our metrics for success in this life are so skewed from what they should be. Um, and I think you said there, you know, how do I see this kind of playing out or what are some of the, the biggest impacts I see? You know, for me personally, I think it's it's like we talked about a little bit earlier, um, not being present to the world around me. Um, you know, how often do I find myself, I'm guilty of, um, you know, being surrounded by, by people all day, but yet not really being present with the people, not knowing what's going on with them. Um, you know, whether I'm lost in my own thought, I'm got earbuds in listening to a podcast or I'm, you know, on a, on the phone in a conversation with someone else while checking out at a, uh, a register and, and we don't engage with the people around us, I guess. And, and by, being absent or being distracted, being disengaged from the people around us on a day-to-day basis, um, you don't tap into the the needs of the people around you, the needs of the world around you, um, where those people are are hurting, where those people are happy, what's going on in their life. It could be our family, it could be our church family, it could be total strangers, yeah. um, but just not, we're missing opportunity to to be more deeply engaged with the people and the world around us and how we can be a blessing, how we can be of benefit to them in their life by being engaged in their life and them being a part of our life. But by being disengaged and disconnected, uh, we, we completely miss that. Um, and, and we're just living, um, you know, a shell of, 
of the life that we could be living um, yeah. because we're, we're not connected. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it, a shell of the life that we could be living. So this is, this is the culture that we are immersed in. And the good news is that there's a better way and there's a counterculture. We've been discipled by the ways of the modern West, but there's a better way that's offered to us that we can follow in. And so in contrast to this hurried life of modern American culture, Jesus makes this incredible invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight, when he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for, my, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a beautiful statement that he makes. It's a beautiful invitation. But what exactly does that mean? It is like a little bit cryptic, a little bit vague, but packed full of meaning. And so what do you think Jesus is getting at with this invitation to come to me and I'll give you rest? Yeah, I mean, not only is it cryptic and a little bit vague, but it's even, if you sit and, and think about it, it's even a little bit paradoxical. Right. Um, you know, this idea that in Matthew 11, he's, he's telling these folks, when you're, when you're weary, when you're tired, when you're worn out from the day, um, the last thing we think we need is an instrument of labor hung around our neck. We want a, a vacation to Destin. We want uh, a getaway to go, you know, do something to have some me time. Um, and, and Jesus says, if you want rest, take my yoke upon you. Take, take my instrument of labor upon you. And he offers this rest, uh, interestingly, not by promising to take away the burden of life, not to wait, not, not to take away uh, the difficulties and the, the weariness that life is going to bring, um, but rather through this, this metaphor of a new way to carry life. You can put life on your shoulders and you can carry it a different way um, because I will give you a new way to bear your responsibilities. I'll give you a new way to shoulder the load of life and I'm going to shoulder that load alongside you every step of the way. Um, it's just such a beautiful way that he explains it there and he, he lives it which is, you know, he, he offers this in Matthew 11. Um, and what's interesting, what I love about um, this book and, and his, how, how John Mark Comer always talks about uh, apprenticeship to Jesus, um, what he means when Jesus is saying, you know, follow me, he's saying apprentice under me, learn from me, um, make me your teacher. Um, and, and just the idea of he says in the book, in one, in one section, he talks about, uh, we tend to, to look at the Gospels and read the Gospels through the eyes of these collections of, of sermons and, and great spiritual teachings and things for us to implement into our life uh, to live better. And they clearly certainly are. Um, but he talks about his opinion that we've, we fail to read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as biographies of our teacher. Um, it's, it's a biography of the life of Jesus and the life of our teacher. And 
why we read biographies. I mean, we, we look at biographies, we pull biographies off the library shelf to open them and read them so that we can learn from the lives of, of other great people or people that we want to emulate, people that we want to be like or, or implement some of their lifestyle into our lifestyle. And in some cases, maybe learn from the mistakes of others and not fall into the same uh, pitfalls that they have fallen into in their life. But for the most part, to, to look at the positives of someone's life and implement them as our own. Yeah. Um, and I just found it so insightful and transformative to think about the Gospels that way. Think about the Gospels as biographies of Jesus and as a book that shows you how Jesus lived life and lived it well. Um, and if you think about that and think about his pace of life and what he focused on, what he devoted his time and his attention to, um, he was never hurried. Uh, you don't see this, you know, Jesus coming off as, as frustrated and, and anxious uh, when crowds were all around him and people were bearing in on him and, and seeking his attention. Um, and it happened so often, but you don't see uh, what would be the case with me, you know, anxiousness and frustration and irritability. Uh, he doesn't portray that. He comes across as gentle and humble in spirit and unhurried. Um, and to, to sit and read the gospels that way and think about uh, implementing his lifestyle as a whole, not just his, his teachings, but how did he live and implementing his lifestyle as my lifestyle uh, is really motivating and really transformative. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a uh, there's a saying that existed back in the time in day of of Jesus, where they would say of like a rabbi disciple relationship, they would say, "May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi," and I I love that image, and it's like that's what the gospels are. The gospels are an opportunity for us to be covered in the dust of our rabbi for us to see his life and then embody that in the world, to follow in his footsteps in a very almost literal way to, to walk where he walked, to, to do the things he did. And, and I like the emphasis you put on that there. I think, I think that's so true. I think we try, I think we expect and demand of ourselves that we do what Jesus did without living the way that he lived how he did it. Right, yeah. right. So it's like, you know, you read the Sermon on the Mount and if if you don't, it, in one way of reading the Sermon on the Mount, it can feel very defeating and demoralizing because it's like, how could anyone ever live this? Or some of the other teachings throughout uh, Jesus' life. I mean, these are hard sayings. These are difficult things. Um. And, and we demand that of ourselves. We, we place that expectation on us and we think, okay, I've, I've got to go do this and that. I've got to serve all these people and I've uh, got to never make any mistakes, whatever. I don't know exactly how you might conceptualize that, but it's like we expect us to ourselves to do all the same things without living the way that he lived in the silence and solitude, in the retreating often to... Uh, quiet places um, that we see him doing all throughout his life. So, yeah. So I I love how it's in it's an invitation to shoulder. I like how you put that to shoulder life in a different way. 
Jesus throughout his life, we see so frequently in the Gospels, Jesus would go and spend an, an exhausting day teaching, healing, um, feeding. I mean, he just was, was doing these things day in and day out for long hours of days. And he would then retreat to a quiet place, to the wilderness, to this place where he could find solitude and silence to pray and to meditate and to, to focus himself again on his purpose and his mission and why he was doing what he was doing and to renew himself to get back to it again. And he would spend days and weeks at times off in this quiet place preparing himself for what he needed to accomplish and what he needed to do. And why we, I, feel like, you said a minute ago, we feel like we, we need to do the things that Jesus teaches us to do, but why we don't feel like if I'm going to put all those things, if I'm going to going to go and, and be these things and do these things for others, and I need to go and and be this for my family and be this for my employer and be this for, but I'm never giving myself any time to go to a quiet place to focus myself and to meditate on my purpose and my calling and what I'm here for. How do we expect that we are able to keep the energy level and the the ability to do that without burnout and exhaustion if our teacher, God who came down in the form of man, Jesus, couldn't do that. Or not to say he couldn't do that, but he showed us that even he needed to step away and have some quiet to refocus and and, and do that. Why why am I so naive to think that I don't need that as well? Yeah. Um, that's it's so, just such a powerful thing to, to think I need to follow in his footsteps in that way for sure. So he says, come to me, I'll give you rest. And like you said, it's sort of paradoxical. Now, what is Jesus sort of drawing on here? Because this theme of rest is really all throughout scripture and it comes kind of supercharged with meaning when he uses this word. One of the, one of the four big things that he talks about in here, aside from the idea of silence and solitude, is this idea of, of rest, of Sabbath, of, of making an intentional practice of stopping, you know, stopping the pace of this hurried life through the practice of Sabbath, through the practice of rest. Um, and yeah, going all the way back to, to Genesis, we see that built into the, the rhythm of creation, how God works and he's, he's, he's creating and, and working on this earth for six days and then takes that time on the seventh day to rest and to, to sit back and take delight in and joy in what he has done, what he has created and to find rest and joy and Sabbath in that. Right. Um, and then also, you know, fast forwarding to the yeah. second, you well, know, just mention. to just to jump into that real yeah. quick before we go to the second one. Um, yeah, so I mean, from the very beginning, this this idea of Sabbath is is right there, and I think maybe we we miss how powerful it is. Like in that poem in Genesis one, uh, the climax is the the Sabbath. Sometimes we think of kind of climax is day six where God creates man and he calls it very good. And certainly that's climactic to that point. But the climax is when after building this cosmic temple, this whole house 
that God intends to dwell in, he finally does come and rest with man. And now God and man are together and they enjoy his good and his very good creation together. And, and it's this climactic moment that I think sometimes as Christians, we just read it and it's, it's, we, it's, it's underrated. It's like, this is so powerful what happens right at the start. And you think about um, the the culture that it was written to, and we'll talk about this more in the second time that it's mentioned. But uh, you know, Genesis was not written so much as a historical book for the broad public of the world. It was written to a specific people, and to a people that for four hundred years suffered as slaves under this harsh, tyrannical oppressive ruler. And the only thing that was seen, the, the only way that their lives were valued was for their work, for what they could produce. How many bricks could they make? And if you couldn't make bricks, you were of no value. The empire would dispense of you. You would have no need. They would have no need for you. Um, and so 400 years all these generations where the only way you can think of yourself is as a slave made for work, made for harsh labor. And then here comes this counter narrative where it says, no, 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 no. Like, first of all, you, you are made in the image of God. You have this divine title of image bearer. All humans have this. And you're not made as an animal to be worked. Um, you have the dignity of resting within God's cosmic temple and enjoying his good creation together. So it's so powerful how it comes along as this counter narrative. And it's like, well, do you think we need that today? You know, it's like we value ourselves as just brick makers, as what can I give? Am I enough? Am I producing enough for my em employer or in this relationship or whatever it might be, am I producing value? And the, the narrative of Genesis says, just stop and slow down and realize how much value you have, how deeply you're loved by God and enjoy his good creation with him and just rest together with him. Um, the first mention there of, of Sabbath giving in, given in, the Exodus account of the Ten Commandments and hearkening back where he, he, he in the context, he gives that to the idea of, of that creation rhythm. Um, but then we see, like you mentioned, that, that 400 years of, of work and backbreaking labor. And now those uh, in Deuteronomy, we see another giving of that passage of the, of the Ten Commandments. And this time it's put into the context of the reason behind and the context for the Sabbath is because your God has brought you with a mighty hand out of the hands of slavery in Egypt. Uh, he's he's taken you by his mighty hand out of that cruel taskmaster's hand and allowed you now to come and abide with him and enter into rest with him. Because like you mentioned, you are in his image. You are made uh, not to be something just to be worked to the bone. Uh, you're something uh, to be made in his image and to enjoy uh, that with him, uh, which is is so powerful. And and you kind of alluded to this a minute ago, you know, the, I started thinking the, the Israelites were 
under the, the very real hand of a cruel taskmaster that enslaved them to build bricks day in and day out. And if they had no bricks or couldn't make any bricks, they were of no use but to be dispensed of. And we don't, we live like we are that today, but yet we're really, if we think about it, if I sit down and think about it, I'm really the only one imposing that cruel taskmaster mentality on myself. I'm, I'm being my own Pharaoh. I'm being my own Egypt and placing that burden on myself that God is not placing on me. Um, yes, I need to be productive. Yes, I need to, to, to uh, take care of my family. I need to take care of my responsibilities in my life. And, but we place such, it's, it's so much of the, the hurry and the, the burden that we place on ourselves, the overload of life that we put on ourselves is self-imposed and self-inflicted. Yeah. Um, which is sad that we're doing that to ourselves um, and God's calling us out of that to enjoy Sabbath with him. Yeah, God has woven the idea of work and rest into creation and I need to establish rhythms within my life that align with that, that move with the, the flow of how God designed this whole world. And we see that also even in the um, in Genesis one. There's also this idea. I'll just mention this briefly. This is kind of cool. Um, have you ever noticed how it's like there was evening and there was morning? Uh, the first day there was evening. Normally we say day and night, right? Mm-hmm. But it's reversed. Or morning and evening. Right. We refer yeah. to the day typically by right. morning and evening. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Um, I don't want to make too much out of it, but most scholars will point out how that's very intentional, that it's evening and morning each of the six days, because for the Hebrew nation, it's to be that you're not made for work in the daytime. You're made first and foremost to rest and enjoy life with God. Um, So there's rest, and then there's work. There's evening, and then there's morning. Um, and, and that's how the days are established. So again, just, and then they, even when the law is given, there's all, it's not just Sabbath that's given, but all these festivals mm-hmm. that are all about um, resting and enjoying the presence of God in community with other people. So that's that comes uh, supercharged uh, in what Jesus says when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you this rest, this rest that was promised in Genesis and then reiterated in the Exodus, and that was foreshadowed all throughout the prophets. Jesus says, I can give you this rest. Now, okay, if if that's the promise of the Christian life, well, why don't we always experience that? And so maybe... Let's get really practical here. Like, how how do we start to live the way that Jesus lived, and how do we start to take that yoke uh, upon us to take His yoke that is easy and light, and therein find that rest for our souls? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as you know, what he he brings out that I think was so helpful and transformative in the book is <clears throat> these these four habits, and we've already touched on some of it, these four habits of Jesus, being, being people that are, are mindful of 
taking time for silence and solitude, being people that are mindful that we need time to get away from the noise, get away from the distraction, and focus our hearts and our minds fully on God, to, to refocus ourselves on our purpose, as we said earlier, refocus ourselves on our purpose and what our mission and what our, our goal is uh, in this life. And then the second one he mentions is this practice of Sabbath, being intentional to take a time uh, to, to set aside and stop the pace of life and rest. Take time to allow yourself to slow down or even to stop and, and to rest and enjoy that, that Sabbath. Uh, he goes on, we haven't really touched on these much yet, but the third and the fourth thing, uh, the idea of simplicity, um, just minimalizing life. We have such an accumulation and, and part of our hurry and part of our, our rapid pace to life is, is accumulation, this, this um, addiction to accumulating. Um, and, and this idea of living more minimally, you know, what do I truly need in this life? You know, Jesus talks about, you know, if we have food and we have clothing, we have enough, you know, right? He says, and, and we certainly are a, a blessed people in this nation. Um, you know, we, we have an abundance more than what we really need in this life. Um, but taking the opportunity to, to take inventory and say, you know, could I scale back on, on what I think I need uh, and, and focus more of that resource or that time uh, towards things I can be doing in dedication or purposeful to the kingdom. Yeah. Um, Let, let's zoom in on, on that one for a second. Um, what do you think that, what do you think that me- means? You know, um, right. A, a, a passage that we're all familiar with Jesus talks about, hey, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it far from you. And the question is, okay, how literal is that? You know, but um, when you start talking about simplicity and cutting things out of our life, how literal do you think we should take that? You know, what what are some examples of um, of things that, hey, this might need to be adjusted or this might need to go? And yes, it's drastic, but maybe this is what's preventing you from living the fullness of life and that soul rest that Jesus is trying to give you. Do you have like any examples or anything? I mean, I think for me, when I, when I think about it, it's, it's how am I allocating the resources that I have? You know, I, I have resources in this life that God has, and those are different for everybody. We all have different resources and we have different amounts of different resources. It's our time. Um, you know, I forget somebody it as time. Everybody has talent, time, and treasure. Um, you know, with those, those resources that you're given in this life, and how are you allocating those? And for me, you know, how am I doing stewarding those resources? Um, you know, and I think it, it, for me, for Carly, for us, it, it was a matter of going back and looking at, like we talked about, kind of the family calendar and the family schedule of our time. You know, how are we allocating the resource of our time? To where we can best give that resource to the kingdom, to to furthering the kingdom of heaven. Is it making sure that we go and we put the things of highest value and the things of highest priority first on our schedule, so that we're devoting that time first to those things? Um, it was a matter of going back and looking at the family budget and saying, are we allocating our financial resources in the most effective way to further the kingdom? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think I don't think it means that you need to to go live, you know, with only the clothes on your back, and and as long as you've got scraps of food to eat and the shirt on your back, you're good. I mean, I, I think we need shelter. I think there's a lot of things that are still um, needs in this life that we need to take care of. Um, but but sitting down and having an honest look at how am I prioritizing? How am I allocating my resources um, to to best glorify God and best further His kingdom? And and we had to sit down and do that and say, maybe we need to cut out a few things from the budget so that we can readjust that in giving to those in need and helping to fund projects that um, further things for our our community or further things for our church family. Um, we need to, to sit down and say, are we doing a good enough job? Are we doing as good a job as we could be at allocating those resources and our talents? You know, we have gifts that things that we're good at. Am I, am I able, am I, have I been doing a good job of, of allocating that resource? Am I utilizing the talents that God's given me in the best way to be able to be a blessing to others? Um, and I, and I don't, I don't think it, you know, means we need to live as paupers necessarily here on this earth. God's blessed us, and I think we should enjoy that blessing. But being mindful of how we're stewarding those resources in the furtherance of the kingdom is is huge. Right. Yeah. And I think there's hard questions that that come with that. Um, and I don't I don't know if I want to be too specific here, but maybe it's asking the question. You know, okay, I want I want my son or daughter to excel in sports or in music or something like that, and so. You know, I want them to go and do all these things and be involved in these different clubs and organizations. But just how much time is that taking away? Or I want this job. I've always wanted it. I've wanted this promotion for some time and now it's right in front of me. But is it the best idea for me to take this knowing that this could take me away from my family and from work in the kingdom? Or you know, my family, you know, we've always wanted this big house or whatever it might be. But now that we uh, have this goal in mind, does that mean I really want, I know this might be a little controversial, I'm not saying one way or the other, but uh, do I really want my wife to now also get a job and take her away from the kids as well, or maybe it's vice versa. And I'm not trying to make a statement one way or the other. I'm just trying to show that there are hard questions that this causes us to ask um, that says, okay, what is this? What does this really mean? And sometimes that's going to have us missing out on things that we think the good successful life is all about, but far greater than that is finding rest for our souls. Um, the, the last one, kind of the fourth habit that he brings up there in the book is, is this idea of Jesus lived a life of what he calls slowing. Um, just this idea of, of being a people that are training ourselves to be patient. Now, we, we live in a, a culture and a society that speed and getting what we want and getting it now and getting it quickly is so common. It's, it's the norm. It's prevalent. And there's a, he talks about there, there's a significant benefit to 
cultivating a, a mind that deliberately puts ourselves in positions that we have to wait, training ourselves to be patient people. Um, and I, I, that one kind of struck me because I, I, I don't feel like I'm one of the most patient people. I like, I, you know, I, I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting in lines. I don't like waiting in traffic. I don't like waiting. And that one kind of rubbed me the wrong way when I first read it. <clears throat> but then I can start seeing a lot of merit to that idea of, you know, training yourself to be okay with waiting. Um, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be forced upon us in life. And he, you know, there's, there's things that, you know, maybe it's fasting, you know, training yourself in a mind and body that, that our body feels the need to eat. But through fasting, we're going to use that urge and that desire. We're going to, we're going to deliberately force ourselves to wait. And when that urge comes, we're going to devote ourselves to, to prayer or to scripture or to something to fill ourselves, to feed ourselves with something else but deliberately, deliberately make ourselves wait for the thing that our body is telling us we need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and training ourselves in that way, um, I think in some ways can be helpful for us um, because life's, life's going to throw things at us that are going to test our patience and try our patience. We're going to have to either, like we oftentimes too much do, get frustrated and get aggravated with having to wait, or we can start to be people that train our minds to be okay with waiting, being okay with patience. Right. Yeah. And just to reiterate that, you know, these, these are not, when we talk about ruthless elimination of hurry and taking the yoke of Jesus on us, um, these aren't like self-help things. Mm-hmm. Um, these are just exactly what we see in the life of Jesus. Silence and solitude, Sabbath, this simplicity and slowing, those four things are not just something that the author randomly came up with, but it's like, no, this is exactly what we see Jesus embodying and and inviting us to follow in. And it's a beautiful way of life. And I like that I like that you say that, Jared, because it it's not gonna be the same for every person. Like if like you said, if we go back and we read these gospels, like we said earlier, as kind of biographies of Jesus and and looking at how he lived his life, what was his lifestyle like when he was here on this earth, we see these four tenets that he he did practice throughout his life. But it's not gonna look we can't expect to take that and in, in, in exactly the way he did it bring you know 30 ad and translate that exactly into 2023 ad um it's going to look different because we live in a a world that has just changed dramatically but these these ideas and these principles can be adapted into today's culture um in a very positive way and it's not even going to look the same from family to family and from person to person um, you know, it, with, with all these ideas, you know, you look at the life of Christ and see how implementing these into my family is going to be best. And it's going to look different for each of us. Right. Yeah. So that leads into the last thing. Um, we could ask the question, okay, if, if, if someone's listening and they're thinking, this is exactly what I need or what my family needs, 
we could ask the question, you know, where should they start? But like you said, it it will look different for every person. So I'll just ask you, um, after you and Carly read this book, what did it look like for y'all to begin to implement this in your life? How did y'all kind of start that and initiate that? And what impact has that had on your life so far? Well, I mean, after reading the book, we definitely recognized our need to slow down, our need to be less distracted, to be intentional and purposeful in what we said and did. Um, And we wanted to, one of our big motivators was not just for our own benefit, but to embody that, not only to, to be followers of apprentices of Jesus, but to exemplify that to our kids and our kids seeing that play out in our life um, and them see that lifestyle and take that on as their own. Um, but we, we by no means have, have perfected it. We're, we're practicing, we're trying. Um, but the things that we've found most impactful in the last year is just the idea of, of Sabbath, the idea of what we've decided to do is just Sunday is our rest day. Um, we've, we've kind of said, look on, on Sunday, the phones don't exist. Um, you know, TV tablets, those kind of things don't exist. You know, we, we put those away. We're not distracted by those things. Um, we want to be very intentional and very purposeful on, um, the three words that we use. We want Sundays to be about faith, family, and fellowship. And so we try to make, be intentional about obviously our, our worship with our, our, Lost River family, but then the rest of the day spending in having people into our home and having families into our home that we know well and cultivating those relationships even further and being purposeful of sometimes having families into our house that we don't know as well. Maybe it's a new family to Lost River, a new family in the community that we want to get to know and spending that time of rest from the distractions of everyday life, but to be more focused and intentional on growing and cultivating those relationships with others. Um, and, and also being intentional about family, you know, us sometimes spending that day just as a day to be together. The four of us, me and Carly and Kate and Josie spending that day. And it, it may be something as simple as today we have game night and we all sit and we play some board games and we eat popcorn and we, we just have some time as a family, to, to be together, to enjoy each other's company, to, to grow together. Um, and it looks a little different every time, but it's always with the same intent behind it, is to, to stop and slow down from the hurried pace of the week, of Monday through Saturday, and then to enjoy the rest of Sunday to be able to just enjoy each other. Um, that's one that, that probably the, really the first thing we, we put into place and felt like was really helpful for us as a family. Um, we've also tried to be you know, very intentional about that idea of the quiet place and finding time and realizing we need time. Uh, our kids need time to just be in what we call quiet time. They go and they you know, go to their room and they do something quietly together or individually. Um, Carly and I have different sip on a cup of coffee and go out on the porch in a quiet place before the kids get up and be able to just read a book or to read scripture or to pray. 
And and I have other times when I say, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out and just go for a hike today, and I'm gonna go out and hike out at Mammoth Cave and and spend some time just praying and meditating and and di- disconnecting from all the things um, that we do, and just finding time to be quiet. Um, and and those have been probably the two biggest things over the last year that we've tried to make a a habit of implementing into our life um, to. Not only just improve the quality of of life, but we find ourselves more rejuvenated and more engaged when we're back together. And the times that we then are are back connected to each other and we're connected to the community, we feel more connected from rejuvenating in that quiet place, yeah. uh, which is what we see in the life of Jesus. Right. I mean, uh, it's 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 just following what he's doing, and it's amazing how you you find the benefit in doing what your teacher shows you to do. Yeah. So, so it is possible. <laughs> it is possible. It is and, possible. <laughs> and I won't say that it's easy. It's like when, when we first started trying to implement some of these like Sabbath and quiet place and solitude, like it's uncomfortable at first. Like the first few times that you turn off all of your devices and put them all in a drawer and go just do something disconnected, like, you feel weird. Like it's, it's not a comfortable thing. Like you, like we kind of talked about earlier, like your mind, you feel like your mind wants to continue to go back to, I wonder what, or, you know, you start going to different things and it's hard to quiet yourself and to allow yourself to be disconnected. You like you physically have disconnected, but allowing yourself to, to mentally, spiritually, emotionally disconnect takes time. Because it, right. it wasn't something that was easy to do, I guess, is maybe the best way. It wasn't easy to do from day one. Um, it's something that's been a progression that's gradually gotten easier and easier over time as you get more used to that lifestyle and you get more used to those habits. They become more natural and more easy to do. Yeah. Um, but I, I would encourage you know, anybody that, that thinks some of these things can benefit their life to, to try it and to stick with it because it'll be uncomfortable at first, but the benefit is well worth, uh, you know, the yeah. putting it all away and, and disconnecting. It's, it's worth what you gain from it. Right. Yeah. Well, so many ways to implement it. So many ways to kind of start out. Maybe it's the silence. Maybe it's taking that time. Maybe it's deciding I'm going to wake up 30 minutes 45 minutes, or maybe you can work your way to a whole hour and have an hour in the morning that is just spent in silence and solitude with God. And and maybe it's Bible study, but maybe it's not even Bible study. Maybe it's just simply being still and being aware of God. Or if you have a distracted mind, um, uh, you know, making your coffee and then going on a walk and just taking it slow and enjoying the right? Walking with God in the cool of the day, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, just let that sink, sink in and, and allow yourself to be present with God. Um, find, find a, a time in your day to be silent, or maybe it's, um, during a, a lunch break or at night. So maybe it's finding that silence or maybe it's figuring out a time to practice some form of Sabbath, whether that's on Saturday or Sunday, or maybe it's only six hours, you know, it doesn't even have to be a, a whole day, but it's just, you know, six hours or something like that, where 
you're just completely uh, disconnected from distractions and just present with the people that you love. Or maybe it's the simplicity, choosing things to get rid of in your life, or that slowing, just taking time to, to breathe. But there's so many different ways of what this might look like as we try to f follow Jesus and take his yoke upon us. And to your point, it's not necessarily easy, especially not at first, right? Anytime mm -hmm. you uh, try to, right, just like, you know, it takes a second to break in a new pair of shoes. Maybe it takes a second to break in that yoke that's placed on your shoulders, that new way of, of shouldering life. But the way that one person put it, which is actually the reason for the title of this book, John Ortberg uh, asked his mentor, Dallas Willard, what's the, what's the secret to life? He looked up to and revered this, this great man, Dallas Willard, and uh, this, this great Christian man. And he said, the secret is you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life which is another sort of paradoxical statement, but um, I think that's so true. And I think that's exactly what we see in the life of our rabbi, Jesus. So anything to, to add before we, before we go? No, it's been great. Thanks, Jared. I really enjoyed the discussion with you. Yeah, well, thanks so much for joining today. And um, I hope y'all have an awesome vacation to Maine. Look forward to hearing about uh, that trip when y'all get back. Thanks, man. Looking forward to it.